The official name of that defensive umbrella is Operation Prosperity Guardian. It's a coalition of more than 20 nations that includes the United Kingdom. But most of the ships, aircraft, and firepower are coming from America. When was the last time that the U.S. Navy operated at this pace for a couple months? I think you'd have to go back to World War II, where you have ships who are engaged in combat. When I say engaged in combat, where they're getting shot at, we're getting shot at, and we're shooting back. You'd have to go back to World War II since the Navy's been engaged in that sort of thing, sustained period of time. Sounds like combat to me. Let's discuss the developments in the Gulf, in the region, around the world with CNN military analyst Mike Lyons, who joins us. Uh, Mike, thanks. Great to talk to you. Hey, good morning, guys. Great to be back with you. So does that sound accurate to you? That's the most engagement our Navy's had since World War II? Probably from a naval perspective, if you take out uh, the naval air assets that have been participating in combat, uh, you know, really in every conflict for the past 20, 25 years, this is, you know, fight, uh, combat towards the ships, you know, yeah. the destroyers, the aircraft carriers are always safe. You know, na- naval tactics are protect the carrier at all costs. Well, now they've got to be concerned about that. The fact that uh, our enemy is targeting uh, actual naval assets uh, in the water is, is somewhat new. And, and, and the, new, the new thing is this underwater drone doing some research on that um coming from iran it, it loiters it's kind of like a loitering torpedo is kind of the best way to describe it and uh, the fact that they were able to shoot that out before it got close to it uh, things are getting dicey no question for the the naval operators uh, in the red sea just a quick tangential question mike i think a lot about the the navy for various reasons both personal and patriotic uh, i'm troubled by our lack of capacity for shipbuilding as china's uh, navy grows by leaps and bounds at the same time though with the growing sophistication of uh missiles uh, both ours and the chinese in particular i wonder how long a big manned surface fleet is going to have the significance it has now well, from a principle of war perspective, it provides mass on that domain, so I think that's always going to be there. I'm concerned about it as well. I do think we need to increase our naval uh, capacity, both uh, what we have in the water and the sea, uh, as well as underwater. We're talking about submarines there as well. So um, I do believe that as the Chinese are going to you know, kind of rely on the old-school gunboat diplomacy in what's happening in the Pacific, we've got to match that with similar assets. Now, we we use our technology to gain an advantage, but right now that's being flipped on its head. You, you saw that 60 Minutes report, Nora O'Donnell talking about, you know, we're taking million-dollar cruise missiles and knocking out ten and fifty-thousand-dollar drones, let's say, with it because we have to protect their ships. So, from an economic perspective, we're not on the right side of that. We have to, you know, kind of figure that as well. We can get, we get away with that because we're a prosperous country and we can afford it, but uh, we might not be able to afford that in the future, especially as these countries change their tactics. I'm concerned about swarming technology. For example, that's going to impact the battlefield uh, on the sea. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I mentioned a couple of different times they're not exactly sure what they're up to. Like, what's their goal? Picking a fight with the the biggest, baddest bull in the barn, and what you know is mm-hmm. it attrition? Like you guys were just talking about, or yeah, I, I don't know what the Houthis' goal is. Just just besides, uh, from a re- purely religious perspective, to go meet their maker there, I, it it doesn't make sense, and that's why. You know the rational uh, negotiation with these terrorists doesn't doesn't go go anywhere because 
they they don't have the same you know kind of value sets we do. So they're going to continue to uh, in, until until we're, they've been deterred or either out of ammunition. They're going to continue to do exactly that. And Iran's going to use them, I think, as a laboratory the, again. These this submarine mm. drones and the surface drones and the things that they're doing, these unmanned the things they're they're easy to they're easy to get there and they're easy to, to deploy. <laughs> Um, I saw your tweets about Russia and Ukraine. Ukraine lost a major city over the weekend to Russia, but you seem to say Russia's not quite on the verge of winning. What's going on there? No, I don't think so. I I, I think that, um, you know, for the last four months, they've expended uh, about 40,000 soldiers that, that have been lost on their side and all kinds of battle damage assessment from 30 square kilometers. Um, you know, there, there's, there's not this... Um, immediacy with regard to Russia breaking through on an offensive operation. Ukraine's got to go into a defensive mode now and, and stop any kind of counteroffensive. And what Russia's doing is taking back some of those areas that they lost during that counteroffensive in the past nine months. Um, but Russia is learning. They, they recognize that they, if they mass forces in certain areas, they'll be successful. That this area, Afdivka, is in the middle of this very long front. Um, and, you know, when you look at it from a strategic perspective, it looks like a divide and conquer, but they just still don't have the resources to do that. Now, eventually they might um, if the Ukraine government doesn't get resupplied. The military doesn't get resupplied in the next, let's say, 30, 60, 90 days. Um, they're running out of ammunition, no question about that, artillery. We saw Denmark decide to give all of its artillery inventory to Ukraine. That's a, that's a nice gesture. But they need the 50 or $60 billion of aid that's, that would come from the, from the West uh, in order to have uh, this fight to be sustained for the next couple of years. And what, what we'll do is take stocks... Uh, things out of our stocks, send them to Ukraine, and and rebuild them here in the United States. So it's kind of a win-win from a political perspective. But I guess right now, neither side wants to give the other side any kind of political victory, which is it's going to hurt the Ukraine military. It's interesting to watch the arguments, listen to the arguments here domestically, uh, particularly on the right side of the aisle between those who are staunchly in favor of helping Ukraine and those who seem to think it's a bad idea for a variety of reasons. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of disagreement in Europe. The EU is remarkably united in thinking mm-hmm. Putin's a hell of a threat. Right. Yeah, and and look what he's done to Navalny now, and you know he 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 does this because it's getting closer to the election, and he picks and chooses when he wants to assassinate people, and and you know these kind of bloody leaders they exist because they take their they take their opponents out before they they you know they get close to becoming more powerful. But yeah, you, uh, over the weekend you saw um, the foreign minister of Latvia and Lithuania make comments about the threat as they are close to Putin, they're close to what's going on in Russia there. Um, We've got to get, you know, the Germans and the French and others involved and start spending more money. Only seven countries in NATO are meeting that two and a half percent goal that they're supposed to meet for GDP. That's just not enough. Mike Lyons, CNN military analyst. Mike, it's always great to talk. Before we let you go on this President's Day, are there any, is there a president or are there a couple that you admire particularly that you think about a lot, read about a lot, maybe uh, uh, use as role models? I, I there's there's so many I've studied them. JFK was uh, inaugurated in the year of my birth, I guess. But uh, I guess my favorite president has got to be Abraham Lincoln. If you go to the Lincoln Memorial and you look above his the statue, that, that great statue that exists in that the monument to him, and there's a quote above it, and it says something that goes like this. I don't have it exact, but it's like, "For whom he saved the nation, the memory of Abraham Lincoln is enshrined in this temple forever." 
And I always looked at that and said, you know, forever is a long time. You know, I'm sure the Romans put up a lot of statues and said the memory of this guy is going to be here forever. So as a, so the soldier, I get to the Lincoln Memorial, I look up and I said, you know what, I better look around here because I'm going to be defending this place someplace because the United States said his memory is going to be here forever. That's a good one. Yeah, amen to that. Uh, Mike, thanks very, very much. Good to talk to you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.